This episode of Tester's Island Discs is sponsored by TestRail, a modern web-based test management tool which allows you to manage all of your testing efforts in a centralized location. To learn more about TestRail and to find out how you can sign up for a free trial, visit www.testrail.com or see the details in the show description. Welcome to Tester's Island Discs, your most musical guide to the world of software testing. My name's Neil Studd, and I'll be your castaway companion. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tester's Island Discs, where my guest on the island today is Claire Reckless. Claire has been a tester for over 10 years and is about to start a brand new role at Money Supermarket. As someone who's based in the north of England, she co-hosts the Manchester branch of the Software Testing Clinic. And despite being a self-confessed sufferer of imposter syndrome, she's recently branched out from just writing about testing to also talking about it, fast becoming an established speaker on the circuit. Having recently debuted at Test Bash Manchester last year, and she's just returned from Nordic Testing Days. Welcome back to the UK, Claire. Thank you very much. How was Nordic Testing Days for you? I did it myself a few years ago. It was actually my first speaking gig was at Nordic Testing Days. How was it for you? It was really fantastic. It's the first conference that I've been to abroad either as a as an attendee or a speaker and yeah it was it was an absolutely fantastic experience got to meet a whole bunch of new people and saw some saw some really really good talks yeah it was a fantastic conference it was really well organized lovely venue speakers well looked after Um, unfortunately I didn't get to see much of Tallinn itself just because of the time that was spent at the conference and then I was flying home but yeah it it was wonderful Um, yeah I really loved it I would definitely recommend people to go yeah, I really like that style of event where the conference is being held in also sort of a hotel slash conference venue. So it's almost as like a campus feel where, you know, you're even in the evenings, you know, you're wandering the corridors, bumping into testers. I, I really like that that little feel of, of events like that. Obviously, you were busy giving your own talk, but did you get a chance to see any others? Uh, yeah, I, I took the chance to kind of see quite a, a few talks, um, all of which were, were really, really good. Um Angie Jones, who I've never seen speak before, her her talk was absolutely fantastic. And she did an absolutely fantastic talk about testing machine learning. That was, you know, really interesting talk. Anne-Marie Charrett did a great talk about quality. I think she may have done a, a similar one at Test Bash Manchester, but I think it was a kind of a different version of it. And Anne-Marie is a really, really great speaker. Heather Reed, uh, who works for Ministry of Testing, did an absolutely fantastic talk on her kind of mentoring a new tester as somebody who was she was a new tester herself and um, and I'd seen a version of her talk at at Leeds Testing Atelier previously and it was fantastic there and and she did a really really awesome job it was it was really good to see her up there speaking she was really really great I was slightly gutted I couldn't get to see Gwen Diagram speak because her talk was on at exactly the same time as mine which was slightly unfortunate. That can't be good for the imposter syndrome. <laughs> I know. I was. It was. Uh, it was interesting because I, I looked at the schedule and there was a load of stuff on that was uh, really good at the same time as my talk. So there was Gwen's talk. I think Dan Billing was doing a workshop. There was. Uh, I think Helena was doing a workshop on coaching. They, these were all things where I'd seen them and gone, "Oh, I'd really like to go to those things," and then I couldn't because they were all at the same time as my talk. <laughs> so, but yeah, there was yeah some really really good things on. And I went to a talk on, I think it was about red teaming in production as well. So security testing stuff. And that, that was pretty awesome as well. Excellent. We're going to talk a bit more about security and about your own speaking experiences as we go on. I saw you mentioned on Twitter that flying out to Nordic testing days was the first time you'd flown on your own. How, how was that as an experience? Was that something you were worried about? Yeah, I've always been a really nervous flyer. A few years ago, I probably would never even got on a plane. 
I've I've always been terrified of kind of flying and very nervous and my husband kind of end up kind of gripping his hand because I'm so scared most of the time and I do it because obviously I would never go anywhere if I didn't but but it's definitely you know it scares me quite a lot so I was really nervous about having to fly by myself um and also when especially when it's not a direct flight either so you've got to change at an airport that's unfamiliar so I was changing at Helsinki but it was fine it was in the end and I think it probably did me a lot of good to do it actually it I think it's definitely kind of helped me quite a lot and I think because I didn't have anyone to kind of hold on to I just had to pull myself together really and just get on with it so I think it was it was definitely way out of my comfort zone but I was really proud of myself it was kind of felt like a big achievement for doing it yeah I think that's going to turn into one of the themes for the episode about getting outside your comfort zone I've always been okay as a flyer although I've I've had my own sort of quirks as well I was always really fearful of using toilets on a plane just the the weirdness about what it is and where it goes I think it wasn't until like maybe a year or so ago that I actually used a toilet on a flight for the first time despite having flown to like the west coast of America I just I'd always just held it in but um (laughs) yeah once once you do it it, it's it turns out to not be so bad yeah yeah that's it I think I'm very much a kind of like you know stay sat down stay sit sit with my seatbelt on and not get up unless I really 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 have to so so yeah and I won't sit near the window either because I don't want to see the ground kind of coming up towards me or or be or taking off and it, that scares me as well yeah. maybe this isn't the best episode to listen to on a plane <laughs> yeah <laughs> funny enough we had Dan Billing on a couple of episodes ago and he said that one of the things he uses when he's uh worried before takeoff is music and you've been invited to, to the testers island mm. with your five music selections mm-hmm. What was the first song that you chose to bring along with you? So the first song is by Benjamin Francis Lefwich and it's a song called Atlas Hands. And it was a song that was when uh, I got married six years ago. Now it was a song that was played at our wedding. Um, and I walked down the aisle to this song. Well, when I say aisle, I mean flight of stairs, which is difficult in a very long dress and high heels. Anyone who doesn't know that will have to take my word for it. I've never heard much of his other stuff, but um, I really, really love this song. And it brings back a lot of kind of happy memories of that day. So most of the songs I've picked are fairly kind of like bring back personal kind of memories or relate to people or times in my life. So I love this song because of that. Money came like rain into your hands while you were waiting for that cold old promise to appear. People in the churches started seeing about their hands. He said, My God is a good God and cares. That was Atlas Hands by Benjamin Francis Leftwich. I mentioned at the top, Claire, that you're a big part of the Manchester Agile slash testing scene. Are you Manchester born and bred? Not quite. Uh, I'm from Bolton, which is kind of a part of Greater Manchester. So for anyone who doesn't know where Bolton is, it's a kind of town just outside Manchester. It's the kind of the land of Warburton's bread and, and Peter Kay. But yeah, I've kind of always been in and, in and around Manchester. 
And the tech scene in Manchester is really booming right now. Obviously, you've had people like the BBC move up, and then other people have either followed them or made very similar moves. Do you think there was a particular spark to that? I don't know whether the BBC moved up specifically for like cost cutting or something, but I don't know what what came first, the, the boom in Media City or the BBC? It feels like it was the BBC moving up here that has probably sparked a lot of the change and the the redevelopment. Um, I think a lot of the development that's going on around around Sulphur Keys is kind of associated with that. And yeah, it seems to have then spread outwards and caused other companies to to move up from London or open offices in Manchester. And there's an awful lot going on at the moment. I would say with these things that, you know, you usually get things kind of happening related to transport, but the uh, transport situation in Manchester isn't the best at the moment, as I think anyone who ever has to get the train will probably tell you, um, having quite a few issues. But they were supposedly going to be investing a whole bunch of money in, in transport as well. But yeah, it seems to be, I, I would say it's probably the BBC moving up here that's had a massive effect on things. And that obviously has rippled out throughout the city. I mean, I've got friends who've lived in Manchester for sort of the past 15 years or so, and I come up and see them every few months. And it's really noticeable, even just the last few times that I've gone up, that the amount of regeneration that's gone on. I remember one time I came up to Manchester, it wasn't for Test Bash, but I met up with Jem Hill. And we just took a walk through the middle of Salford itself. And yeah, the amount of regeneration that's going on there is um, it's remarkable. Now, obviously, it's, it's great that it's helping to rejuvenate local areas. But does that mean it's having an impact on house prices in the area, do you think? I think it probably is. I think uh, it's coincidentally we're trying to um, sell a house in, in Salford at the moment. My uh, my grandmother passed away at, at the beginning of this year. And so we're now at the stage where we're kind of selling her house and she, she lived in Salford. You know, speaking to estate agents, we've... You know, they've said that the market round there is extremely kind of buoyant at the moment because a lot of the prices in other areas of Manchester are so expensive. They've now become prohibitively so for a lot of people. And so other areas are now starting to be pushed up like Salford. They're knocking down a lot of the very old terraces, the old kind of derelict buildings and building on a lot of the brownfield sites. And, and a lot of people who work at Media City as well, apparently are buying up a lot of the houses, the older houses mm. in Salford, because they're they're pretty, you know, solidly built and the kind of value for money, I guess. But yeah, on speaking to the estate agents, that you know, houses are going quite quickly. So I think it is probably having an effect there. It is a concern for those of us who aren't currently on the housing ladder. The advice I keep being give, given is just get on as soon as possible, because particularly in an area like Manchester, it's it's not going to slow down anytime soon. Obviously, I currently live near Cambridge, which has always been something of a bubble because mm. of all the universities and mm. stuff. So Cambridge is a, is a great city for technology, but a hard one to get into to live in if you're not already there. Mm. But the scene is clearly buzzing up there. And there are obviously a lot of companies moving there and a lot of companies hiring. I mentioned that you're about to, to change roles. Um, what is it that took you to Money Supermarket? So it's just a desire for a bit of a change for me. I've always, ever since I've started as a tester, I've been working with enterprise software. So I started as a tester at Sage and then worked for a couple of other companies that were kind of ERP software, financially related, and then moved to Avecto testing security software, which all of which have been, you know, I've been very lucky to work for a lot of really, really amazing companies and, and with really great people and, and on good products. But I because I've always worked in that kind of enterprise software domain I wanted a bit of a change to work in a more web-based environment and get a bit of experience 
elsewhere in you know different technologies new ways of working the product that i work on at the moment is you know it's a fantastic product but when you are in an, in an environment where you don't own the production environment you know we deploy software out to customers environments there's a there's certain kind of constraints and certain things you can't do and i suppose i wanted to you know after having gone to all these events and conferences and reading about all these things you can do i, I wanted to kind of get some experience of working in a slightly different way and with some different technologies it was kind of unexpected when it came along and so um, I'm going to be you know really really sad to leave Avecto because they've been a fantastic company for me um, and they've been very very supportive of all of my kind of external endeavors and speaking and writing and events and sending me places and, and they've been really really fantastic I couldn't have asked for better really but this is an opportunity that I need to kind of take it and kind of run with that really so yeah I am I'm really excited to be going and doing something different and I'll get to learn a whole bunch of new things and so yeah I can't wait really excited for that we'll have to compare notes sometime because I my last few years of my career I worked for compare the market and then I've, I've moved to Zoopla who own you switch oh. so basically two two of money's with markets direct rivals <laughs> be, be very careful what I say to you during the course of this yeah. podcast <laughs> uh, one bit of safe ground I think is song selections so should we hear from your second song Claire yeah um so my next song is the Foo Fighters Breakout and this uh reminds me quite a lot of I mean I, lo- I love the Foo Fighters anyway coincidentally I'm going to see them tomorrow at uh, the Etihad <laughs> Stadium Etihad. in yeah. Manchester so that'll be kind of obviously yeah, kind of in the past where by the time this goes out but yeah I'm going to see them tomorrow um and I absolutely love the Foo Fighters I've seen them a whole bunch of times uh one of my favorite bands and this song reminds me of kind of when I used to go out in my early 20s kind of with my friends and jumping around the dance floor in terrible indie clubs with sticky floors and cheap beer and things like that and uh, and it just you know it's just a really fun time so so yeah that's why I love this song That was Foo Fighters with Breakout. So Claire, you gave your speaking debut at Test Bash Manchester last year, and I say you've gone on to do more since then. What was the eventual spark that persuaded you to do your first talk? So the thing that persuaded me to do it was I attended Newt, which is the Northwest Exploratory Workshop on Testing, which is organised by Duncan Nesbitt, who's involved uh, with Liverpool Test Gathering. And that was March, so March 2017, I think, around then. And I got invited to that. And the theme of that was growing testers. And so this is a peer conference held over a weekend where everyone discusses a particular topic and deep dives into that topic and, and ask questions and has some, have some really great discussions. And that was a really awesome event. And there were some fam- some fantastic talks and some really great people there. Uh, but one of the talks, which I think think was the final one, was by Jit 
Gosai, who works at the BBC, who is, a, I think he's a, I don't know if he's a developer in test or something like that. And he was talking about just getting out there and doing things and kind of what are you doing to push yourself forward? It's been so long now, I can't even remember the fine details of it, which is terrible. But it was really, it really inspired me. And I came away from that and I thought, instead of thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly get up there and speak, and speak. I'm too shy and I've got nothing to say and, and no one will be interested in me talking. I just thought, I'm just going to do it. I'm, so I went home and straight away just typed out a kind of submission on, on imposter syndrome, which was something that the, one of the things that I really, really struggled with in my time as a tester. And I sent it in and I did, I didn't really expect anything to come of it, to be honest with you, because obviously they get, you know, I've been, I've been involved with the review process of test bashes. You know, there are some amazing submissions come in. And so you don't, you know, you kind of think, oh, well, it's my first one and, you know, I'll send it in and it's good practice, even if it doesn't get accepted. And then it did. And that was, you know, that was really, really fantastic. When I found out, I was incredibly surprised when that happened. So obviously then you hit the next fear point, which is you actually get accepted and you've actually got to produce, prepare and perform this talk. What sort of steps did you do prior to Test Bash to make sure you were really confident of giving that talk on the day, if, if, if you ever were confident? I think, yeah, the confidence was a strange thing because it was it was it wasn't just about giving the talk as well. It was because I was kind of talking about my own like say my own fears and worries and neuroses that was kind of another part of it that just added to the added to the nerves really but I spent quite a lot of time practicing at home and talking through it and my husband and the the dog were an excellent audience and I also got the chance to go into I went into the BBC actually JIT invited me in to go and give my talk as a kind of a dry run at the BBC uh, they have a kind of a Friday afternoon community of practice kind of thing. And they, yeah, they invited me in to give that talk. So to kind of, I think about 20 or 30 people there. And that was a really great experience. And and Jit's very, very good at, at speaking as well. And he gave me a whole bunch of uh, advice and tips. And yeah, he was, he was really, really helpful. So, so that definitely helped with the confidence aspect because by the time it then came round to Test Bash Manchester, I knew I had at least done it in front of an audience. And, you know, kind of given that talk to people and you kind of had an idea of what worked and what didn't. So so that was really good um, to have had that experience. And the preparation, I think, certainly showed on the day. It was uh, one of the talks we highlighted in a previous episode. It's available to watch on the Ministry of Testing Dojo for anyone who is a free dojo member. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Obviously, now you're something of a dab hand at this. You've spoken at a few conferences. You've been on other podcasts. This isn't even your first podcast experience. Does that help? to manage your feelings of imposter syndrome or does it never really go away? I think there will always be a bit of it just probably because of my personality really I think there'll always be a little bit of it I'm I think I've always kind of had confidence issues and I think so that will always be there but I think pushing myself out of my comfort zone so being so kind of delivering talks and being on podcasts so I've been on Gem's podcast a couple of times as well have been really really good experiences to get me out there and get me speaking to people it's definitely helped it's helped me realize that I know more than I think I do or I'm better at things than I think I am I'm trying not to kind of talk myself down so much uh, which I have a nasty habit of doing <laughs> but it's definitely really really helped and it's also helped that after having done those talks 
and I've just delivered the same in Tallinn at Nordic Testing Days. I delivered the same talk on imposter syndrome. I've had people come up to me and say that they felt exactly the same way. And I think just knowing that other people feel like that as well can be really helpful. Yeah, I think there's a healthy amount of uncertainty to be had in everything you do, be it delivering a talk or developing software. The worst thing would be to be overconfident and think you've got everything figured because that is also something that is it's never true. I think it's good to keep yourself in check like that. But uh, yeah, I, I think the more you do get feedback from others about whether they feel the same way, particularly when you're delivering a, a personal talk, uh, it's it's really useful. And that brings us on to your third song selection. So the next song is um, by a guy called Seth Lankman and it's called Lady of the Sea. And this is kind of a... It's, it's not even so much this song. It's more of a kind of representative of a class of songs, an equivalence class of, of songs, if you will. <laughs> My parents were always really big fans of folk music um, when we were growing up. And before they had me and my sister, they went to folk festivals and things like that. I know there's a massive folk festival in Cambridge that we used to go to as a, as a family when we were a lot younger. And they kind of introduced us to kind of folk music. And my dad, who's uh, passed away quite a long time ago now, he wrote his own songs and played the guitar and so I always remember kind of him sitting in the kitchen playing the guitar so this song reminds me of going to those folk festivals so we saw uh, Seth Lankman in a variety of bands kind of over the years from when I was a, a teenager and then kind of going to other festivals more recently you know he's he's you know still around still playing in bands very very talented musician um, plays a variety of things and has played in a variety of bands as well and it's he's, he's always really awesome to see live um, and so this song kind of reminds me of going to those festivals and that kind of music and uh, yeah some really happy times to those people they gathered round to view that lovely sight That was Seth Lakeman with Lady of the Sea, Hear Her Calling. Now, among the many talks you've given recently, Claire, you gave a talk at Agile Manchester, which was a talk titled Security Insecurity. But you said that you don't describe yourself as a security tester. Is that just imposter syndrome again? I don't think it's imposter syndrome, but I think it's, I wouldn't describe myself as a security tester because my main focus isn't security testing. It's, I've, up to now been a tester a software tester in the security domain so security is part of it and, and is part of what we have to do but but it's a much broader role than that so I think a lot of people would describe a security tester as somebody who, whose main focus is security testing who's using certain specific techniques penetration testing hacking that kind of thing but what I do is kind of much broader than that yeah, and I think that's a view that's shared by people who are outside the industry as well. I've got one of my good friends who's in Manchester, actually, who's not in software development, but he works with pen testers. He, he's used to people who are doing, you know, physically trying to access premises to access a network, for example. And yeah, there is so much more to it than that. I mean, a lot of what I've done in security is things like you know, checking that uh, user permissions are enforced correctly and, you know, user X, Y, and Z can't do this thing, things like that. 
So how big a gap do you think there is between being someone who tests some amount of security and someone who just can describe themselves as a security tester? How much specialist training do you think you would need to do to reach that point? And is that a point you actually want to get to in your career? I've never wanted to kind of aim to be a security tester as such. I think I'd I'd like to learn more and do more and, and maybe in, and hopefully in my new role, I can bring some of the security practices that I've learned in my current role uh, into that into that new role. But there doesn't have to be a massive gap. I think the issue sometimes is that with testers, they can think of security testing as this kind of dark art and everything's kind of horrifically complicated and technical. And it can be like that. But I think there's a lot of things that people can do, which I know obviously Dan Billing and a variety of other people are kind of specialised in talking about that can really help them winning, you know, their day to day testing. So the gap doesn't have to be enormous. I think if you want to be, you know, a really, really good security tester, you'd have to have quite a lot of technical skill. Yeah, there's a lot of discussion about specialists and generalists and things like that. I think having enough knowledge in an area that means you can be part of a conversation is a very good point to reach. I think it's absolutely fine to rely on the fact that there are some people who have very in-depth specialist knowledge in a particular area. You don't necessarily need to be the person who has that knowledge. Sometimes it's just useful to know who the person is who has that knowledge that you can point to. You mentioned that's one of the things you're hoping to get out of your new role is just just a wider exposure to a wider variety of, of areas. Uh, I think that's certainly something to be proud of. Yeah, I think uh, we talk about kind of T-shaped people. And this is one of the things I t- spoke about at Agile Manchester is, you know, having T-shaped people and security should be one of the things that people have, a you know, as part of their breadth of knowledge, even if they don't have depth of knowledge in that area, it's good to know some things about it. And everybody can, really, there there are things that everybody can do, because we talk about quality being everyone's responsibility, which is, and security is is an aspect of that, and security should be everyone's responsibility, even if you've not got security in your job title, and, you know, you're not a security tester or a security engineer or a specialist or whatever, you know, you're still responsible for that, and there are still things you can do. I hate to bring up the imposter syndrome again, but giving a talk at a non-testing specific event Mm. where you might have, you know, developers in the room and your talk's got the word security in the title. So you might have security specialists in the room. Did that set off any alarm bells with you? Yeah, there was quite a lot of considerations. And I think because I was I was representing a vector at that event. I was very keen to to make sure that the talk would be right for the audience. And I'd never attended that event before either, so I wasn't sure who would be there. So I'm chatting with the team who were going to be there and and my boss, they've said, you know, there's a big mix of scrum masters and product owners and perhaps more business facing people, as well as developers and testers and 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 other roles like that. So it's trying to kind of, you know, a talk can't be all things to all people. You want to try and make it as broad as possible so that, it's, it, it doesn't put certain certain people in the audience off. So I, I think it was difficult to try and kind of come up with something that would appeal to a, a wider range of people. Certainly another example of you getting outside your comfort zone. <laughs> absolutely, you're, absolutely. You're getting, yeah. getting more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes, definitely. I, I think I'm, I'm used to being very uncomfortable now. I think every, every time I have to speak, I'm, I feel hideously nervous and yeah, kind of quite panicked. And that, yeah, that doesn't seem to be going away, really. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I'm, you know, I'm usually glad I've done it. Now, I'm very interested to hear about your fourth song submission. I mentioned in our very first episode where I picked my five songs that there were some I had to throw away at the last minute. And if anyone ever picked one that I threw away, they would get straight to the front of the queue. You're the closest anyone's got because you picked a band that narrowly missed out on my selections. What's your fourth song? So my fourth song is by a band called Manson and it's called Wide Open Space. And this is 
one of those songs from the kind of the mid 90s British indie rock phase, I think. And so I was a a moody teenager as opposed to the the moody adult that I am now. And um, yeah, I used to love listening to kind of all that kind of music. So the kind of Blur Oasis and Sleeper and Elastica and and all those kind of bands and Manson, absolutely, when their their album came out, Attack of the Grey Lantern, and I absolutely loved this song. And I think it was all over the radio at the time as well. It's still one of my favourite songs. Reminds me of, of that time, really. was Manson with Wide Open Space. Yeah, a band that are also very close to my heart. I could do an entire podcast about Manson trivia. You mentioned their debut album, Attack of the Grey Lanterns. Some, some trivia behind that. It was released in 1997. They're on the same record label at the time as Blur, whose self-titled album was at the top of the charts, to the extent that the record label didn't bother investing any advertising money in Manson because they wanted to keep Blur at number one, and yet Manson came out of nowhere. Basically, they were one of these bands that they, they played, I think, something like 150 gigs in the year before the album came out. They were just everywhere, just building a fan base and just out of nowhere got a number one album, which is an album that I love. The follow-up album they did was an album called Six, where basically they were given free reign to do what they wanted. And they went completely off the rails and did this bizarre, massively long prog rock album that is my favourite album of all time, because they were just told to do what they liked. And one of the bits of trivia about that album is that it peaked at number six in the charts and it was called six. So uh, that's a little bit of Manson trivia. I, I have some pretty deep Manson knowledge that I'll save for another place. Another time. <laughs> it sounds like you know more about, about them than I do. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think you're the third host of the software testing clinic to appear on the podcast. And you're certainly not the last as the clinic expands to more and more venues across the country and across the world. There are more and more people in the queue, obviously to come on the podcast, but what's the story of how you became involved with the software testing clinic? Really, it was quite, well, it was really simple, to be honest with you, because Richard Bradshaw, um, who I'm sure everybody knows and has been on this podcast as well, he just sent me a message and just asked if if I'd like to be kind of involved in co-hosting and that, and that he would be running it. And of course, Richard is really awesome. And I would, of course, jumped at the opportunity to do that and, and work with him. There's, there's not that much more to it, really. I know that, uh, well, Richard and I went down to London towards the end of last year to kind of attend the London clinic that Dan and Mark were running because I'd not been to any of them. That was a really, really good experience to see what they did and see, you know, the, the people that turned up and how it worked with the mentors and things like that. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite straightforward, really. <laughs> you said you jumped straight in and said yes immediately. Was that yes or was that yes with a bunch of inner caveats that you were, were trying to keep under the, under wraps? <laughs> 
Um, no, no, I was just, I was really happy to do it. It was, again, something that was incredibly out of my comfort zone. I'd never run, never run a workshop and never done anything like that. And obviously there's a whole bunch of different skills required when, you, when you're doing this kind of thing as opposed to the speaking. But I just said, absolutely, yeah. And I, I'd ha- I really wanted to be involved. And, and it's an, it was another opportunity for me to do something that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with that could only, I suppose to me, it seemed like it could only be a good thing. Yeah, the Software Testing Clinic obviously has a, a massively wide range of topics that it covers. There's a different topic each month. And also, obviously, you've got that learning of getting comfortable with talking to, to groups of people and coaching and mentoring. Yeah, I think um, it's the, you know, being feeling like you're kind of giving something back to the testing community as well because that's something uh, you know it's something I've been really kind of grateful for uh, you know in the last two or three years everything I've managed to learn from people in the testing community has been fantastic so it's it's really really good to to do something where you feel like you can kind of help other people learn as well. So I think the first Manchester Software Testing Clinic was January the 8th which I imagine was probably nice and chilly up there. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think we had, um, I don't know, we did have some snow early in the year, but I think that might have been around February, March. But yeah, it was, um, it's always very cold around that time. (laughs) And now the summer months are here and you just held your June session. Do you feel like you can pinpoint changes that have happened over that journey? Are you doing things differently now to how you did it like month number one? It's uh, it's interesting because I still feel like I've got a lot to learn and, you know, a bit of a way to go. I think, Richard and I, we tend to catch up just before the event and discuss the lesson plan and what we think we'll do and will we change anything and why do we need to do this exercise and what we're going to get out of that and are people going to learn what we want them to and logistically how will this work as well. There are certain tasks that I'll do and all the kind of, you know, the sending out the emails and arranging the meetup and uh, which reminds me I need to arrange the next one actually. So I must do that this <laughs> week. But uh, and then, you know, certain things Richard will take care of. So we kind of work it reasonably well between us. I think Richard and I are kind of developing more of a, a, a rapport when we're, we're actually hosting. It's not really about us being up at the front and speaking but Richard is very very good at that and I could quite happily listen to him to speak about testing for hours and sometimes get a little bit distracted because he'll be um he'll be kind of talking about um, you know whatever it is at the front and then turn and ask me if I've got anything to say and, re- and I'll realize I've just been kind of listening to what he's saying and then I won't have anything to add so I've definitely developed a bit in that area, but I need to, I think there's there's work I still need to do there. I tend to get a bit of a kind of, my mind tends to go a bit blank sometimes. It's that, that thing of workshops are a lot more, um, you have to be able to react a lot more than when you're doing a talk. So it's not as rehearsed and, and practiced. So yeah, that's, there's definitely work I still need to do. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's coming a lot. And we have a lot of the same mentors coming back, which is fantastic. And a lot of the same students have come to each one, but we get new people as well. And, and yeah, it's really, really popular. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I think of all the really good things that can be said about the software testing clinic, one of the ones that perhaps goes undermentioned is the fact that if you're someone who's interested in becoming a speaker or holding a talk or a workshop, but you've never done it before, there's a really natural progression you can go through at the testing clinic. So you can turn up first of all as a student and, you know, absorb all the material of a session. Once you're experienced, you can then come back and you can help to be a mentor and actually help to pass that back. And that does help to build up that Mm. confidence and that rapport and as you say, in a session like the Software Testing Clinic, it's non-linear. You know, the conversation could jump anywhere. You could suddenly one minute find yourself in a topic you deeply understand, and then suddenly you're switching back into listening mode and going, actually, this is something that was yeah. really useful for me. So, if, yeah, for those who haven't been to a testing clinic session, going as a student is definitely a good way to start. Yes. And they are cropping up all over the country and, and uh, say, uh, other parts of the world right now. So, yeah, there are links to the Software Testing Clinic can be found in the show notes. 
So you've got your fifth and final song choice now, Claire. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and the final song is by Incubus and it's called Drive. And this song I like just purely because it reminds me of my husband, because I think when we'd um, we'd not been together that long and I think we went on a night out with a bunch of friends and he ended up doing karaoke. And he's a much better singer than I am. I am very much on the par with a bag of cats, which it would probably be an insult to a bag of cats, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> but it, he's he's got much better voice than I do. And he sang this song on karaoke. So whenever I hear it, it just reminds me of him. And that's why, why I like this. That's why I chose this song. Sometimes I feel the fear of uncertainty stinging clear And I, I can't help but ask myself how much I let the fear take the wheel and steer It's driven me before and it seems to have a bad That was Drive by Incubus, Claire Eccles' final song choice for the Desert Island. Now we're into the part of the show where you get to choose a book to take to the Desert Island with you. Is there a book that you've read recently that you'd like to take with you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a massive reader of fiction, to be honest with you, but um, one of that I've read recently, which was a recommendation by Rosie Sherry, actually, is a book called Technically Wrong uh, Sexist Apps, Biased Algorithms and Other Threats of Toxic Tech. And it's about the way technology can exclude certain groups of people based on, on the way it's designed and, and how it's written and who's involved with making it. And it talks a lot about diversity and that's and it's it's not a very long book, but it's pretty easy to read. And it's really, really interesting. And I'd kind of recommend that to anybody. It's one that I would quite like to read. I've had a few experiences with that myself. I did a talk recently where I mentioned an example of something like this, where there was a gym in Cambridge, where when you signed up, you had to give your title. And mm. if you gave the title as doctor, yeah. then the pass card they gave you would only let you into the men's changing rooms because they assumed that doctor meant you're a male. And yeah. I, it, think that's it, yeah. I think that might be referred to in this book, actually, or something mm. very similar. That's technically wrong by Sarah Wachter-Betcher, mm. which we'll put a link to in the show notes and in our Goodreads list. Mm-hmm. There was another one as well that um, that is really good based around security, um, which is called Insecurity. And it's um, how the lack of women working in cybersecurity is making us all less safe. And that's by a lady called Jane Franklin, who runs her own kind of cybersecurity consultancy. She's yeah, she's got quite a lot of experience in the cybersecurity industry, and that's a really um, again relates to diversity and uh, hiring practices and what companies can do. And a lot, and it is based around around security, but it, and there's a lot of stories in there from women who've worked in the in the cybersecurity industry. But I think a lot of it does apply to tech in general as well. And so that's a really really interesting read. Two very interesting books there, and I'll allow you to take two because enough other people have cheated with taking compendiums and things. <laughs> and in fact, I didn't even choose a book in my first episode. When, when I put the first one out, I didn't even know we were going to do books. So <laughs> you can have my, my spare selection as yours to take both of those oh, with you. you. <laughs> Which brings us to the end of our conversation. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you, Claire. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your working day to talk to me. 
You're very welcome. Thank you. Now, I mentioned, obviously, that you are doing lots of talks here and there and obviously involved with the Software Testing Clinic. Have you got anything coming up that you wanted to plug? So I'm speaking at Agile Testing Days in November in Germany. I'm scheduled to do a version of my Agile Manchester talk there, which would be a slightly cut down version. And where else am I speaking? I think I'm speaking, um, I've arranged to speak a, a meetup in Aylesbury, which I believe Simon Pryor runs. So that's going to be in August. And I think that's it at the moment. But I'll, I'll be attending kind of things like Test Bash Manchester. So yeah, people can catch up with me there. And also, uh, I'm running a workshop at London Tester Gathering Workshops, which is next week, in fact, with um, Kim Knoop. And we are running Exploratory Testing 101, which is a half-day workshop there. So I'm not sure if it's sold out or not, but that's going to be the first kind of proper proper workshop that I've run other than Software Testing Clinic. And I'm really looking forward to working with Kim as well, because she's absolutely awesome. I tell you what, that's quite a long list of events for someone who hadn't spoken anywhere before October last year. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I kind of re- I'm kind of realising that now. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm just doing quite a lot of things. <laughs> now, obviously, we're not all fortunate enough to be able to get out to all these events. So if someone wanted to get hold of you and speak more to you about security and imposter syndrome and all the things you've spoken about, where are the best places they could do that online? Well, I'd say Twitter is probably the best place to get me. So I'm at Claire Eccles on Twitter. So you can drop me a message on there if you like. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. So if you just search for me on there, there's not that many recklesses. So I'm pretty easy to find. So, <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're probably the best ways of getting in touch with me. Super stuff. And if you'd like to get in touch with the podcast itself, you can reach us at Testers Island. You can also get hold of us at testersislanddiscs.com where you'll find a link to our Spotify playlist and our list of books. Otherwise, you know where to find us. We'll be here in two weeks' time. Thanks very much, Claire. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you all soon. Bye. Testers Island Discs is brought to you in association with the Ministry of Testing. Written and produced by Neil Studd. Theme music by Tony Lovich. Follow us on Twitter at Testers Island. <laughs>